Welcome to another episode of Sales with Aslan. I'm your host, Tom Stanfill, and I'm not here with my trusty co-host, Dr. Tab Norris. I'm with my partner in crime, Mark Lampson, who I affectionately refer to as the captain because he steers our company. He steers big ships. He leads all of us into greater places. Welcome to the show, Mark. Uh, well, thanks for having me. I, I guess uh, I guess you're you're slumming from a doctor to a criminal. Is that where I am, basically? Well, thank you for having me, and I appreciate. Yeah, the, we're slow. Yeah, we, introduction. In fact, no. Well, Mark, you're not filling in for Tab because he's he's right now in the middle of a big race with a rim to rim to rim. Mm -hmm. Where you, we're explain explain because you're you're smarter than me. It's explain. Well, for some reason it's for some reason it's cool or it's a thing to go mm -hmm. start at the top of a perfectly safe, comfortable, temperate plateau of the Grand Canyon mm -hmm. and hike down a treacherous seven mile walk down the side across the bottom up the other side to the other side which basically you gain nothing because you're where you started sort of until you go back down that side across and up the other side <laughs> end up at the exact same place rim to rim to rim and it's taking yeah. him like i don't know hours and hours or something like he that. left at 3 a.m this morning and i don't know when he's done i'm sure he's done now i hope he's done but uh, yeah, so we, we miss Tab. He's not on the show because he's doing the rim to rim. But but that's not why you're filling in. I uh, really wanted to talk with you about a common challenge we're seeing with a lot of the sales organizations we're working with. We're working with a lot of companies who have highly technical sellers mm -hmm. representing their solution because it's yeah. required. They're, some of them are scientists. Some of them are PhDs. Some of them are engineers. And not true of all, but some I've seen have a consistent or they have consistent challenges with influence. It's not as intuitive to them. Um, it's not as black and white. There's more of a, some people say art to it. Some people don't like that term, but it, not just again, it's not true of all people that have that um, level of education, but, but many struggle with some of the, 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 I guess the the softer side of sales. I call it the IQ versus EQ. Yeah. Intelligent quotient versus the emotional quotients. And very few are good at both. Um, and the reason I wanted to talk about that is because you solved that problem. I know when you joined us, you you have a background in engineering. Mm -hmm. You fit that same profile, but you were able to adjust from an engineering mindset to being able to be extremely effective at influencing. So I thought you could you could share your journey. From engineer to sales, sales leader, and now sales training and consultant, and uh, kind of share your story because I think it would be very enlightening for people who who recognize that when it comes to building relationships, when it comes to reading the audience, when it comes to breaking out of a process and being versatile and reading the room and being more conceptual and less detail oriented. Um, you figured that out and you've been successful. So I'd love for you to kind of share what you've learned and, and, um, and how people can navigate that. Yeah, I would love to. Thanks for having me. Yeah, there are, there are a lot more uh, technical sellers. Uh, yeah. You know, we were talking a little bit about, we're not talking about technology or IT or mm -hmm. science. It's kind of that whole group. I mean, people with, with kids in the school systems today would, would be familiar with the STEM concept, S-T-E-M, science, technology, engineering, and math. It's kind of all that 
technical stuff versus the non-technical mm-hmm. stuff as two overly stereotyped buckets, which, mm-hmm. yeah, I think if you have some, I don't know if you're a technical person enough, but you have some wiring and your training and the educate education for sure. You get through college, you go through an engineering degree, you're yeah. going to be slanted that way when you get to the workforce, even if you're selling battery backup systems over the phone kind of thing for APC, yeah. but, um, and you're drawn to things that have a very predictable outcome. If you understand how the formulas work, mm-hmm. right? And it, in all the roles that you suggested, then you follow the formula, you understand the laws, and you follow that, and you will get a predictable outcome. People aren't predictable. <laughs> yeah. It's like there is nothing about working with humans, which is what sellers do, that's predictable. It, and, and why they make decisions are emotionally driven. They're not logically driven. So you take someone that comes from a world where things are very predictable and you follow these laws and formulas to working with people who make the decisions that are sometimes mm-hmm. insane, actually. So Computers so- never make a mistake, right? They, can, right? they never make a mistake. There's a there's a language that somebody technical program and it just keeps mm-hmm. doing that over and over and over and faster and faster and faster. And if something's an error, it's, it's a person who did that, right. not the computer. They never make mistakes. Mm-hmm. But, but as sellers, I mean, when we try to do the same thing with the next decision maker, it's always different. And that's tough. That's tough. That's hard. So what did you learn about navigating that journey from, from being an engineer to selling technology, which your, your background and, and ability to comprehend complex um, information allowed you to understand the products you're selling very well and, and know how to understand the people you're selling to, which is why obviously companies gravitate to hiring these types of people mm-hmm. because they That's understand right. how it works and they can explain that to the people who are buying it. And so they can consume a lot of information. So how did you, how did you um, learn the art of selling? Yeah, I think the first step uh, I would attribute it to is luck, uh, just in terms of the job that I took. So yeah, out of school, I had an electrical engineering degree. Um, uh, So I worked for a company, Mm -hmm. my old company, APC, uh, bought by Schneider Electric. We were, they were hiring Mm -hmm. engineers specifically. And, And I was a, I was really my business card said customer service engineer, whatever that is. I mean, it literally said that. I like that. They literally said that. <laughs> I kind of like that. Uh, and um, so, so we were not selling initially. It was about mm-hmm. people calling in, doing tech support, and we were we were solving the problems that customers had already bought products right. had. Right, and so that was a good. That was lucky because I just took that job. I got to use my degree. It got to satisfy my my curiosity. I should back up and say, really, what I did after school was I worked at mobile as an engineer, a true engineer, and I hated it. So, yeah. so I think it's important to understand. I was trained in engineering, but when you call me an engineer, ah, mm, yeah, right. I'm not sure if that's who I am. So there's a difference there a little bit, right? It's not what I'm drawn it's to. It's not what you're drawn to, but you have that kind of brain. I do. You have the brain where you're very linear in how you process things, which makes you a great at, at a lot of things, but uh, which is similar to a lot of the people we're talking to that are in the quote unquote technical sales. Well, I think if you're, if you're in this world, right, the general sort of couple 
couple buckets are you're you're probably process driven there's some process you do this this is what happens on then you follow that process rinse and repeat uh you might tend to be a little bit more black and white right and wrong answers yes and no you know you're you're not you're 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 not painting is a stereotypical opposite right. of engineering right but you're you're doing something that gets a right answer or not uh, you, you may be more focused on the logic of a situation and very mm-hmm. analytical and in the emotions of people and decision making you know emotions that maybe throw you uh, and you're very thorough and so and you're, you're you have a level of detail that you see because you've done that and then when sometimes that level of detail is helpful and sometimes that level of detail is too much, potentially just like it just was just the last 30 seconds. Maybe. <laughs> All right, let's talk about that because that's this is something you taught me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I thought it was a really good because I do you you because you have so much information and maybe because of the way your brain works is you start at granular. That's the way your natural wiring is. Mm-hmm. You can, you, you understand all the details related to something, which is why you do things that, you know, related to engineering or related to, you know, again, the, the roles that we're talking about, why they do it well or understand it. But so when you're, when you go, when you move to influence um, and you're talking to someone, they may not need that level of information, mm-hmm. but That's want right. that level of information. Yeah. And so you, you talked to me one time about, you had this epiphany that when you're delivering or explaining something, you focused on what you call the turkey thermometer. Mm-hmm. All right, explain, explain what you learned there and why did you call it that? Well, uh, I, I think, let's back up to the problem. The problem is, and, and you articulate this, but for the, the technical people that can relate to this problem, like you, there's a lot of things floating through your head. There's a lot of things floating through everyone's head. Right. You know, uh, you might be thinking about other things and other creative ideas, but when someone asks me a question or a customer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I see all the information and I'm trying to get it out and, and it just, it all is coming out and it's too much. And, and I, I lose track of the goal of why I'm answering this question. And so, uh, you know, if you cook a turkey, you know, you're supposed to put the thermometer in and do all this stuff. But fortunately, you know, Purdue, Jim, is that his name? Jim? I don't know what his, his yeah, Purdue's um, name is. Yeah. You know, puts the little thing in and you put the turkey in. And when the turkey thermometer at Thanksgiving pops out, it's done. Period. Mm-hmm. Stop. Anything else you do is going to just create a problem for the turkey. You're finished. So somewhere that popped in my brain is like, that's what I'm trying to do in influence. When, when a customer asks me a question, or it's not even a question, we get to a topic. Right. You know, when, when, when you're presenting, you're talking about background of your company, overview of their problem, your products, et cetera. You, there's, a, there's a series of boxes as a seller you're trying to check off where the customer is saying, yep, yep, yep. There's a turkey thermometer for each of those boxes. And for every person, it's different. And I would catch myself and you helped me with this. And, and as we work together, you helped me because as I start to explain things, I over explain. Mm-hmm. And, and when you and I worked together, you said to me, are you doing this for you or for me? Are you explaining this for me or for you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Why are you explaining this? I'm like, well, at, and initially the answer would be, well, I'm explaining this because obviously you would want this information and that helps you in your decision-making. And you're like, no, I don't want this information. And the customers do the same thing. And so mm-hmm. I would frequently occasionally give too much information and lose people. 
Yeah, that I think the key what what you learn to do, and I think, and I and I, I mean, I think a lot of us struggle with this because it really has to do with the amount of knowledge. When you know a lot about something, it's hard not to be excited about sharing that information That's fair. because you mm-hmm. find you've studied this your whole life, or you've spent a lot of time, you've developed this, and you want to help people, which is why I ask you that question because sometimes it could be for you because you're trying to process, or it could be for me, the listener. So if it's the listener, right, I think the best way that I've found to, to gauge the level of information I share is always start high level, mm-hmm. right? So say, I'm going to, I'm going to provide a very high level overview of, of the subject that we're talking about. There's three things you need to know about this. You know, these are the three categories and that's how we focus on the three things. I can't think of an example right now. I'll just say there's three things. Then there's a next level where you provide a couple of sentences on the three things. And then there's a next level where you provide several paragraphs on the, on the three things that you're, you know, in level two. So left basically three levels of information. So if you start high and then you go down, you can see when the turkey thermometer goes off. If the turkey thermometer pops at the high level, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. Ask them to ask you to draw in more. That's and right. that keeps them engaged. I always think about it as, as dialogue, not monologue. How do we get create a dialogue, not monologue? Because as long as there's a dialogue going on, you can't over explain something. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, it's actually, it's called something for you technical people. It's called levels of abstraction. That's what you're ah, referring uh, to. Okay, that's what I'm There's levels of abstraction. And, you know, the, the theory that's given is, you know, there's the universe and then there's our solar system and then there's earth and then you keep drilling down into like your hometown. And so well said. Yeah. always start at the universe because for some people, maybe that's just fine. You say, well, the yeah. universe is a big place. Like, oh yeah, how many solar systems? Well, there's, a, you know, and so- from an engineering process that keeps you on track. That's how you, you organize that. The differences don't cover all the levels of abstraction every time. Only what's required to, to get the turkey thermometer to go off for the customer. And that's an important thing. Like when yeah. you and I work together, you've said, hey, you're over explaining. Are you doing this for, for you or for me? In other words, are you telling me because I think you want to know as the CEO of the company or am I kind of processing this in my brain again i'm not selling you we're working on something and, yeah. and i'm like i'm doing this for me perfect then continue so but that that's going on in a lot of technical brains be careful of over explaining being too yeah. thorough well, watch making, for the turkey thermometer you're making a really good point mark and i want to make sure our listeners don't miss this is that if it's about the listener it needs to be about the listener. Mm-hmm. So, because when we get excited about something, we may be excited about it because we want to describe the levels of abstraction. We get excited about all of that, Dave. But if we keep the customer as the center, the center of the story and make them the hero, then we're like, do you want to know about the universe? No. Okay. Wow. You just saved a lot of time. Yeah. I didn't and, mean the universe. I was actually and, talking about something else. I was asking you if it's universal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and then, and then they get to choose the level. And so, but if it's about you, you get excited about hearing yourself talk about how smart you are about a certain subject. And that's fun, but it's not. But this is where, this is where having that knowledge and, and ability to kind of put it all in front of you can help you. Mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of talk out there in the market about executive presence. People who have mm-hmm. executive presence. What is that? Yeah. Jury's out. There's a lot of things written about what that is, but but most schools of thought agree, and, and I've kind of taken this term and written it down for me, is that you say things in a way that are high level, 
Mm -hmm. but the person knows that if needed, you could go six levels deep. In other words, mm -hmm. trust me, I know this, but I'm, I'm not going to do that because that's not executive. Executive, let's stay up here. But if you want to double click on something, buckle up. And uh, yeah. that's important for to be able to understand how to say it that way versus actually have to say all those things like, yeah, I, I got it. You got it. Here's a consistent trait. This is a great point you're making. Here's a consistent trait I see of people that are that fall in this sort of analytical bucket. They find their credibility or judge a person maybe or extend credibility to somebody that can explain things in a thorough way and prove to the listener that they know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's what works for them. But when they're talking to uh, maybe an executive or someone else who's not that way, yeah, that just annoys them. They yeah. don't have, they, you'd actually, their credibility, they find credibility like you made the statement and you just say, this is what's true. A best practice is this. You know, like one of the things we say in our, in, in a meeting is like change happens one-to-one. -one. If you really want to drive change, I just was in a meeting where I said this, if you really want to drive change, you've got to move from focusing on a workshop where you're just training people to investing in your frontline leaders. Now, if I was an analytical person, I would feel the need to prove that statement. Yeah. I would right. feel the need to start providing statistics, yeah. analytics, best practices, Whereas the people on the other end will listen to me and go, I agree with that. You said that as a principle, as a law, I'm sold. And well, so because, because that's what your training is. There's problem set after problem set in the test that says, prove this. You're, you're required yeah, okay. to prove it. You're, it's, yeah. it's baked into you. Like, I don't care if you know the answer. I want you to prove how this is right. Now, if the, if the listener, customer, is analytical and they want Perfect. you to prove it, then awesome. the, the turkey thermometer has not popped up. That's correct. And you focus, but the, the listener determines the level of extraction. That's what you're saying. Yeah, abstraction. Yeah. And, and abstraction. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, that's just kind of level. I'm not I an analytical. I'm not a I didn't, well, I didn't say that clearly. That's because I'm, you know, I'm from Jersey. But uh, and I, there's one more thing I want to say about this, Tom, quickly is, is that all this detail, all this over explaining, and you can explain all that analytics and something complicated here's what i've learned determines a true expert at something so we talk wow. about experts like you know a lot an expert can take something that's complicated and explain it to someone who's not wow you, you that is that, uh, that is i so work true. with like, we work with like accountants are like <laughs> explain like, that to me again i'm like they finish I don't really know what you just said you know and another person's like it's like this I'm like i totally get that i understand one of the smartest people I know, this guy graduated from Princeton and Georgia Tech at the same time because wow. he took courses at when we were in high school together. He took courses at Georgia Tech while he was at high school. He maxed out at math. And I went to the, you know, one of those college preparatory schools. It wasn't easy. Got a perfect score on his ACT. This guy, and I, I had dinner with him a, a month ago. He's now doing something related to, to to energy. And I want to get into it because I can't explain it. But he explained to me energy and what he was doing. And I was completely clear. He explained it to me and my wife, like, okay, we're like, oh, I get it. I get it. And he could have, so that's, that tells you, it confirms what you said. He's a brilliant guy, but he was focused on us and he took something incredibly com complex. That's right. And it was basically around batteries and he explained it to us. And I went, I completely understand what you're doing. Yeah. And, I'm, yeah. and I, I remember leaving going, I was so impressed by his lack of words. 
So that if that's what you want your technical horsepower to go towards, it's about the listener. Mm-hmm. The turkey thermometer, you start with high levels of abstraction, watch for the turkey thermometer, and, and experts can make things, complicated things simple for the people who need it to be simple. I love it. I want to go back to something you said earlier. You talk about right and wrong answers. Mm-hmm. Because I've seen all sellers struggle with this, is when the customer doesn't answer the question correctly. It could be because the customer didn't understand the question or wanted to answer a different question. It could be when they say something that's not factually correct, right? They're like, well, the reason we did that is this, and that's why we're doing it, and that's what you should always do. And they're mm-hmm. like, you want to go, uh, so, sorry, that's not correct. Because in other words, you're wrong. <laughs> and I can prove it to you. Um, or maybe they're taking the conversation in a different, maybe this probably relates to the first thing I said, but they're taking the conversation in a different direction than you want to go in. That's also So they're true. starting talking about stuff like, I don't really need to know that. That's not relevant to what we're talking about. I'm here to talk to you about this and we set up an agenda. So how do you, as a person who's wired to solve problems and you need information to do that, how do you address that? How did you, how did you learn to flex? Uh, Tom, first, I'd like to say that the, the right and wrong piece versus the not following the rules, they're two different bullet points that you brought up at the same time. <laughs> okay, did I? So, what you, so what should you do about that? Was that, that the what, wrong answer? What do I'm I do? Adjust. Okay, it, tell me I'm wrong and make me look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> look, there's no smart and dumb. Yeah, look, we're all stupid. You want to you wanna feel stupid? Watch Jeopardy. And, and I, I don't even know what the question even is, let alone the answer. <laughs> yeah. Like, now how do you, how do you answer the question again? I'm still stuck at the first sentence. <laughs> yeah. Read that. I don't know what that word is. Uh, um, I think so, that's but, a really good point. I just think of things there's IQ and EQ mm-hmm. and IQ might be the ability to, to, I don't even, I've always struggled to explain this the ability to consume a lot of information and remember it. It doesn't make you great at being no. able to connect with people or influence. Does it mean people with high IQ don't have EQ? There's just yeah. two, it's two different intelligence and people that are great at influence typically are good at both. Yeah, for sure. Both are required. I mean, selling, especially complex <clears throat> selling, technical selling, I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's not an easy thing. But back to your question about, you know, yeah, I, I again, my training was about right and wrong answers. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, when you ask customers questions, it doesn't always happen that way. They're given the wrong answers. It's back to your, I'll see rule number one. It's, it's focus on the listener, focus on your, your audience or your customer. Mm-hmm. I used to, in my thorough days, I would get ready to have a conversation with a customer and I would, like a good studious engineer, I'd write down my questions thoroughly mm-hmm. i'd write them all down and you know how many questions i got through before that didn't work one maybe two yeah because they start talking and mm-hmm. and they're not following and and i, I can remember I, I mean this is what this is the i see a lot of people worried about getting the answer that you know getting the information down and look at their next question and they're missing what the customer is saying and uh, again, this is whether it's engineering or, or it's how you think when you're this sort of process, right and wrong answers, you have a list of 12 questions. I need the answer to this question and I need it to look like this because you know, that's how it goes. And customers are not going to answer in boxes. They're not going to mm-hmm. follow the rules. They're not going to stay in the lines. And uh, I think I struggled with that for a while. Uh, 
you know, I think some of the things that we teach, Tom, it's about, you know, yeah. focus on what's the objective. The objective really is that I can do a couple of things. One is I can go feed that back to the customer and mm -hmm. say, all right, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. Yeah. Maybe as an engineer, I'm thinking deep down something's wrong, but it's not my mm -hmm. place. Just feeding back and saying, this is what I'm understanding that you told me. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. No, this, I add this. It's very easy to clean that up till we get to a point where they say, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. I understand mm -hmm. their perspective. And, and that's an important first step. And so when I take all the pressure off of, uh, you, you know, because it, like if you talk about a science experiment or something, there's all these, all this information you need to learn and get, and it's a fixed set of information mm -hmm. versus with a customer. It's just, you need to hear from them and, and it doesn't follow in a straight line. And at the end, you just need to feed it back so that you can, you can help them. That's the, there is a, there is something helpful. There is something, we talk about these traits that maybe go against selling, but one of the traits that a lot of technical people have, STEM, whatever engineers, is problem solving. So yeah, we're right. focused on solving problems. So, so pull that out of your toolkit, folks, and say, your job is to solve the customer's problem regardless of what that looks like your solution someone else's solution different ways to do it and and put your brain power on solving their problem so so that's back up to discovery i'm trying to solve their problem versus fill out my discovery roadmap correctly and there's a big difference well i think you're saying two things too it's it because the way you initially where you started started with that conversation the customer starts to wander around and they don't follow a straight line I think two things is going on. One and if, is that you do need information, right? You need information to solve the problem and they may wander around and not give it to you in the order that you may have listed out your questions. Um, and the best way, as you said, to, to, to lead a discovery is to focus on the objectives, not question oriented. Like what objectives do you have? And so how, wherever they go, you can just keep coming back to the objectives that you want versus following your chronological list of questions. And that's about information. But I think one of the things that helps me, and I think it helps analytical people or technical sellers is change your objective in discovery initially from knowledge, attaining knowledge to validating what they mm -hmm. want to talk about. And I think if you add that to your process and see that as a step, I think it will help you. Um, because if you say, if, you, if I walk into discovery and I think what I need here is information to solve a problem. What if you change that from what I first need is for the customer to feel like I understand what's important to them, regardless of what they share. So if they go off on a tangent and start talking about something that's happening, not related on topic, that's what's important to them. And so by acknowledging that and validating that or understanding why they're telling you that, and then again, doesn't mean you don't lead them back to the topic you're building a relationship and you're they're, they're becoming more likely to, to allow you to solve their problem. So I think we just got to add that to a step and make that important, which may not be always intuitive. Well, it takes the pressure off. Uh, it takes the pressure off as a seller, as a, of a, as a questioner yeah. that you're not trying to, to get everything. You're just trying to, to get their perspective. Uh, yeah. And uh I guess I would say the back to the technical or the engineering or, or, or process mm -hmm. driven brain, I've had this bite me, which is, I don't, 
I don't need to ask a bunch of questions because I already know what's going on. Like I can already ask three questions and tell you what's going on. There you go. I already have the I need to see. The, the customer is wasting my time now. Just stop. I got it. I know what this is. But, 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 but. And let me just hurry up and give you a quote because we're good. Right. And, and what I learned is, and I'm going to get the words mixed up, but it's it's not about that you know what's going on. It's about that the customer knows that you know what's going on. And then right. you're on the same page. And that's to the point, validating, uh, not necessarily not agreeing, just saying this is where no, it you're, doesn't mean you're you coming agree, from. Yeah. This is where you're coming from. Yeah, it doesn't mean you agree. It, it just means that, and the way I think about it is you're a journalist, not an attorney. When Fair. you're in discovery, be a journalist. Just write down their story and tell them their story back to them. Don't worry about the outcome. Once you've done that, you can go back to them and ask more specific questions because you've earned the right to do that. And then you can figure out what you're missing, but they need to invite you in. And so when you, when you go, what do you want to talk about? Like I sell this, I offer this, what do you want to talk about? And they feel like you've heard them and validated them. And don't feel frustrated because they're or demonstrate that you're frustrated that they're not on task. They're not on path. Yeah. That's right. Then you've just opened the door to having the kind of conversation you want to. So I think you just have to add a step. I think the first step to influence is, is really validating their perspective, right? Yeah. And because a lot of times it's, it's, it's not the same. You are getting ready to potentially change their perspective a little bit or a lot. Uh, but the first step is is to validate their perspective. And, and I, I wish I knew that earlier. I, I sort of figured that along the way with my now 18-year-old son, because I would I want to influence him, solve his problems, and help him make good decisions. But I would definitely along the way skip discovery. I don't need discovery. <laughs> I don't need I, he's 16. What do I, I already, need to discover? I already yeah. know everything I don't need any about information. everything. That's a yeah, great just example. Shut up and listen to my sales pitch. And and he's not listening. And I learned to say, no, the, the same thing applies. Hey, hey man, what's going on? Yeah. And and, and not for correcting it, not for mm. interjecting, not for even giving my opinion. Just be able to say, so this is the situation. This is how you're feeling or thinking about this decision or this problem. Or like, yeah, that's what's going on. And then just naturally, when when we have a relationship, he says, what do you think? It's like, yeah. it's yeah. just so different. Yeah, so, that's a, that is the the that is the art of influence that we're talking about. Or maybe another way to say that it's not it's it's counterintuitive. That That's fair. Yeah. yeah it's, like I know the answer to the questions and you don't know the questions even to ask or the answers. So why can't you just sit down and perfect. I'll just get out my flip chart and I'm going to tell you what to do and then we'll be done. Right. It's not the way it works. Human beings are emotional. And and so there's a there, we have to as we talk about create we have to create receptivity to the message before we deliver the message. And that's not a logical path. Um, so we have to address the emotions, the human, the human emotions. So that's that's exactly why wrong answers are okay. We need to mm -hmm. feel, make them feel comfortable about saying things that maybe you're incorrect, or maybe are leading in the direction we don't want it to go in. But we're building a foundation to be heard by doing that. And I think you do that ex exceptionally well. Uh, and I think you know it goes back to something uh, you said earlier, but I want to come come back to that he, here so when when you are delivering your message and you've earned the right to do that you know you talk about 
it's not just about the logic. It's also, you have to get them to emotionally experience mm -hmm. the benefit of your recommendation. And so tell, talk to me a little bit of how you learned how to do that. Well, I, I mean, when you said the word emotional a couple of minutes ago, it, it got me thinking about that other piece. I mean, the science, you know, science, technology, engineering, math means there's no room for emotion in that mm. zero. Yeah, uh, it's it's all it's all just logic. It's a math problem. It's a math problem. It's a math problem. Uh, the problem is people never make decisions purely based on the math. Yeah. Uh, they just don't. There's just lots of other factors. And it's hard for someone who's logically what that's left right brain. I forget which side is which, but you know, that's your slant, that's your training. And uh, you just say to yourself, well, you know, I don't understand why that decision is being made. That doesn't, it's not logical. It's, I mean, let me give you, and, give me five minutes. I'll prove you you're wrong. Well, and, and I, I think the problem that I used to have is if you're saying something's not logical, then it means it's not correct. Mm -hmm. The right logic and the right answer <clears throat> in my mind used to be the same thing. Uh, okay. And now that's, and now that's different at every level, at every level, whether it's customers making a decision that maybe this isn't the best logical decision, but emotionally for these reasons, here's the thing. And so there's just a lot of, um, you know, me, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a, what would you call me? I don't know if you'd call me frugal, but you'd call me, you've called me before, like kind of making good financial decisions. You're very good at managing your money and, okay. and making, and making non-emotional decisions oh, perfect. about purchases. You'll say, if this is the budget, I will stick within the budget. You don't waste perfect. money. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, you, you manage but, your money well. Like I'll but I've make, done that, but, I, but I've learned to, I've learned to, uh, I've learned to use more emotion and make, decisions that maybe aren't as logical so so doing this myself i've learned it's okay to not make the best logical decision i mean I, my uh years ago I, my, I bought a truck and there were two trucks there was one with a smaller engine and one with a bigger engine and the bigger the smaller engine was totally fine for what i did because just drove around took a few kids <clears throat> right but when i drove the bigger engine truck it was fast it just it's more fun i mean just completely emotional there's not there's not a there's not a good reason in the world why you should spend more money and burn more gas logically though and this is this is, it just, just happened and so because it happened to me without me doing anything it helped me realize well this is what everyone's doing when i'm when i'm talking to them or selling them is i actually made the argument to myself mm -hmm. and said it's safer <laughs> that was your intellectual alibi going onto the highway with the basketball team, eight kids loaded up in the suburban with a bigger engine would allow me to, it's safer. it's safer. And so because it's safer, I should spend X number of dollars more and burn X number of dollars more in fuel because it's a logical decision that it's a safer vehicle. And, and, I, and I started laughing about it uh, and I've enjoyed the truck, but it does help me realize to, that if you if you expect everyone you're trained to make logical decisions if you expect that of your customers you're, you're going to have a problem working yeah. with them well that goes back to what we we're talking about in discovery because people won't tell you their emotional drivers because mm -hmm. they might be embarrassed by them or they don't want to admit them themselves well the reason i want to buy this is because it'll make me look good right or the reason i'm doing this is because 
uh, you know, I don't want to work as hard or what, whatever their emotional reason is. And so if we can get them to open up, then we're better at letting them talk about what they want to talk about. They'll ultimately reveal what their sort of emotional drivers or their informal mm -hmm. drivers are. Um, and then you can address those when you move into your, you know, building value phase. But that's, you know, that's, it's, it's so true. because people, you know, and when we talk about logic, most of that's related to money. You yeah. Know, it's like, I'm either yeah. going to save money or make more money. Spend this, about, this is the features right? and benefits. <laughs> I spend that. This is the benefits, but, you know. But even money is emotional based. Why do I want the money? It's either because I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough when I'm older or because I can buy things that will make me feel a certain way. It's all about how we feel. That's what drives our behavior. Um, we're afraid of losing it or afraid of whatever it is. So it's, it's emotional based. And so that's, we have to expand. Uh, if you're more analytical, technically minded, you, you may, and I've had people say this to me in workshops, like, Oh no, everybody makes a logical decision. You got to prove it to them. You know, well, I, I've, I can prove, prove to people, even, even think about proving it. Them, their willingness to believe what you say is emotional because they don't have enough time to prove anything yeah uh in the typically in sales they got to believe yeah. they got to believe something about what you're telling them. they don't have the time to, to figure it all out well the advice i might all you know to, to to kind of come up with a solution we're talking about the problems and how we're wired and, and customers do need both to make that decision that they especially need uh, because as technical sellers, it's easy to, to put up the, the logic. It's easy to put up the mm -hmm. chart and the compare and the check boxes and the yes or no. And that's a logical argument. And, and like, well, how do you, how do you not, you know, how do you make that decision in the face of that logic? There's an emotional side that puts them over the edge. It, 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 it people have to have some emotions invoked to take action. Like I'll, I'll look at myself. Uh, I'm a, yeah, I'm a financial guy. One of the best investments out there sure my financial guy will yell or somebody's going to be offended or something. So I apologize, but, but dollar for dollar, a great investment you can make is term life insurance when you're in your twenties, because it's like ridiculously cheap mm -hmm. and you can buy it and you can have it for a long time, take care of your family and kids just like that. But I didn't buy it. The logical, I didn't buy it. I'm like, I, it's like no big deal. When did I buy it? The week before my wife and I went away for the first time, uh, without our one and a half year old, because yeah, right. for some yeah. reason, you know, being on an airplane is more likely to die than in the car and the highway. And, uh, and so you buy, because which is not logical. No, exactly. Because, <laughs> and there's this emotion going that we have to do this now. And all of a sudden that matters. And so customers definitely make emotional decisions. So, so as sellers, if you're only putting the logical chart up, which hear me, it, it's important. And we're not saying just, just focus on You do got to address both. both. But if you're not, checking the turkey thermometer on the on the emotional side do something and, and and somebody told me a long time ago a great way is to tell a story people love stories good sellers mm -hmm. are good storytellers there's a mm -hmm. whole bunch of stuff out there about you know how to tell stories uh an easy story to always tell is it is just like a case study or a success story just tell a story about somebody else where this happened uh you know where this you know, they had a situation and they bought our product and this just tell a success story. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll, I'll give a shout out to men's health, men's health. I remember, I remember this, you talk about something that sort of <laughs> seared in your brain. This is forever ago. They had a little thing at the bottom, you know, you know, two points or whatever. And it said storytellers. It was literally like a paragraph. And it said, there's four parts of a story of a good story. There's a character, 
there's somebody that you, you sort of name them or describe them or something. There's a plot. It's like, here's the situation. There's tension. It's like, oh man, what's going to happen? Then there's resolve kind of yeah. thing. And like, that's like, oh, that's a story. And so for what it's worth, you know, whether you're doing that, whether you're telling a success story, but there's some way to tell a story to customers that that will turn the logic on and get them to act and and, and i'll give it and, and get the emotional and the emotional well, sides will that's, that's what's a good thing sure they can see yeah yeah they, they see images i mean I, I had a client come tell me that they were selling to a large medical organization you know a big ticket item that they'd talked for some time and, and without getting into too many details uh, after we we talked and we worked with them, she said, I'm, I'm going to go tell a story. I have a personal story about this certain disease and the way it's treated. I'm going to tell the story. She sat in a chief medical officer's office of a big medical organization to tell a story. And they both basically got choked up. And, and she said, I'm so glad you told me that because like I have the same story and I can't believe I haven't done anything. I'm so focused. On, and this was a very technical sale all this technical mumbo jumbo and it turns out two people coming to tears over stories made a decision and it ended up having a huge impact on how they treated patients so that's it man you just reminded me of a great uh, uh, story that a, a guy we had on todd duncan had on a podcast recently and he told a story about a guy that was in mortgage business meeting with a family and this just speaks to everything that you've been talking about. And he asked one question. He said, what does buying this house mean to you? Now, logically, a mortgage loan officer doesn't need to know that answer to answer that question. They do not need the information to be able to fill out their loan application yeah. or quote a rate or anything. But they said, what does buying this house mean to you? The people basically told the stories the first time in their entire family history that anybody ever owned a house and basically led to led to people breaking down emotionally it just got really emotional people were crying and he said well that's let's make that happen for you that's cool took the loan application and the deal was done that's logically you should say well what kind of rates are out there sure. and what does it cost me if you're a quarter point higher and blah 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 that's just not the way it works it's like we we've got to tap into the bigger story and You've love learned that to do that. Yeah. Love that question. Love to do that. Yeah. So we've got to open. I think the biggest thing I'm hearing you say is recognize that there's two aspects. There's the emotional drivers and the logical drivers. And we need to be able to speak to both of them. And stories, having the stories to be able to address it is a great way to keep people engaged and where mm -hmm. they can experience what you're talking about. And I think the other thing, and you started with this, is the character, the central character in the story is not you. That's right. Exactly. It's the customer. It's always the customer. And if that's your guide, um, you know, I think, I think that's, that's, that will help you accomplish a lot of the things or navigate a lot of the barriers we just talked about. Um, and one of the things I think that you've been saying, Mark, and I watched you, cause I know you and worked with you for gosh, what, 12, 13 years now is uh see I'm, I'm i'm resisting the urge to correct that information so i'm just yeah. going to go with it just going to go ahead Tom. yeah that's right yeah yeah that's right go for it right because you were, you were focused on the relationship and correct me in the pockets exactly because i'm not i'm not a i'm not a technical seller plus it'll interrupt the flow and everything like that yeah so I'm yeah not gonna now i can't remember what i was gonna okay. say you say what you've seen over the 13 years well, is your is your willingness to learn? So some of these things, 
that we're talking about are going to feel very foreign to the people that are listening to some of you. You try this and that's not going to go well. You're going to ask the one question that you wanted to ask and you're going to try to tap into the emotion and you're going to try to change your process. You're going to try to be versatile. You're going to try to not look for wrong answers and it's not going to go well. And that's part of the learning process is to be uncomfortable. And so that was one of my questions for you is I think that's something that you've done well is you've been willing to, to move from, I know how this works. And if I follow this process, I'm going to get this result and I'm not going to feel um, incompetent because I think a lot of people that have your type of wiring don't like to feel incompetent. Um, you know, they study hard, they make good grades, they figure things out, things are predictable. And then you go into this other world where people talk about their emotions or they talk about, they go into, and you feel uncomfortable. How did you, how were you able to be so humble and learn a completely new skill set? with that type of wiring? I think that'd be super helpful for people to hear that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's a, a good question. Um, I, I think, I mean, a lot of things go through my mind, but the, the I do remember being out of school and I'm not sure if I was as humble then, um, but I, I remember um, I remember someone in a, in, a, in a class that we were kind of working together, talking about some leadership things uh, drew a circle on the board and okay. put CZ, which stands C for CZ. CZ, okay. Yep. Drew a circle. What's that? Blanks. It's my stamina. At, at, at we were we were uh, 24, 25 year old. Uh, it was a group of guys actually, and and I'm not sure if you can recall what happens at 24, 25 as a <laughs> young man getting ready to maybe get married. And so somebody said cubic zirconia is what they said is the circle. We're like, oh my god, that's <laughs> terrible! You can't do that. You're buying her as a cubic zirconia. So uh, I digress. It was comfort zone, uh, and um, the guy leading the class said, you know, your your comfort zone is is very highly correlated with your level of fulfillment satisfaction things that you want you know you could even get into your income you know your comfort zone is where you're comfortable and where you do things well and kind of went through some people and said do you think what do you think this person like what do you how big do you think people's comfort zone and so we agreed that a bigger comfort zone is better for a lot of reasons let's just agree that we also agreed logically because remember it was a room full of engineers we said the only way to expand the comfort zone is to step outside of it and when you do, what happens? It's uncomfortable. <laughs> Pretty logical argument so far. We're building a good. We're building a good case here. Yeah, but then what happens is, and so this is where the real. This is where the real. So I think a lot of people are willing to step out of their comfort zone, but where the real rubber meets the road, and and I think what I was lucky for someone to help me is to says the easy thing mm -hmm. is to go back to where it was and say, see, that didn't work. I told you that question was dumb. That, that didn't work. Well, that's mm -hmm. because you did it once and, and I've done mm -hmm. it a thousand times. But if you do it again, it's, it's, it's going to the gym. If you go to the gym, you don't go to the gym at all and you start and you get a big workout, your legs and arms, your muscles kill. And so if you rest for two weeks, they get better. And you go back, they kill again. But if you go back to the gym a day or two later, they hurt a little less. And then after about two or three weeks, all of a sudden you go to the gym and they don't really hurt that bad. And so that's mm. what, that's what the comfort zone is. Get out, 
do it different. And all of a sudden you'll start to increase that circle, which increases your ability to do more things, have more abilities, have more fulfillment. It just gives you a bigger set of options that you can be comfortable and do well in. And I'm thankful for that advice. Great point. Uh, You know, that, that one thing I would offer to people that are considering what you're recommending is when you get outside your comfort zone, because you're talking about with, what's different about the weight room, you know, in some of these situations that people use as examples, is like, yeah, you're, you're alone. You're not with another human being that's mm-hmm. looking at yeah. you going, well, you look like an idiot. Like, get outside your comfort zone on stage when you're making a talk. Well, that feels a lot worse. Mm-hmm. But when you're, when you're in a meeting or you try something that you feel uncomfortable with, I, I find mm-hmm. what helps me is to reveal my motive. I say, look, Look, I'm trying to learn how to understand my customers better. And I've learned that it's, it's, it's a humility thing. It's like being open and transparent with people and saying, you know, I used to come to these meetings and I asked a list of questions and I felt very much in control because I knew what questions, but I realized I wasn't doing a very good job of listening to my customers. So I'm trying to do a better job of that. So I might be a little awkward, right? Or I might not go, or I might miss something, but I'm trying to do a better job of listening and understanding my customers. So that's what, so, you know, you can explain that after it doesn't go well, you can say that before, whatever works for you, but I think people are drawn by our humility and our vulnerability and not, and that may not be intuitive to you, but it, because we might be using our intellect as a way of, of feeling competent. Um, but again, if you make the customer, the hero of the story and you're struggling to learn about them or you're struggling to adjust to them, that's always going to go better than, than talking about what you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it took the words out of my mouth to reveal motive. When you re, when you reveal your other-centered motive, I'm, I'm trying to do better to do better by you, to help you better. Uh, when you reveal that, what I find is you get an incredible amount of grace from people. I'm not yeah. the most polished well trainer or uh, I make some mistakes. I'm a little rough around the edges, but when I'm in front of a team of people, I'll tell you one thing, I'm doing my damnedest to speak the truth to them and help them and help them see things. Yeah. And maybe if I go awry or do something wrong, I apologize and say, this is my motive. This is what I'm trying to achieve. And I'm learning and I'm trying to improve it. What's your feedback? And when you open up, because 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 the truth is we're all in the same damn boat. We all have the same discomfort and uncertainties and vulnerabilities. Now you can't walk in somewhere to some meeting and says, I have no idea what's going on. Would you give me grace? No. I mean, yeah. you have to come to yeah. the table. I want to be careful with this message. <laughs> right. But you don't have to know it all and it's okay. Well, and we were talking about uh, some of the areas where it's impossible to prepare. You know, you don't know what the customer is going to say. The customer, they take, they go in a different direction you can either ignore it or you can say, well, we can see where this goes. So you do the best to prepare. But I will say when I prepare, I focus most of my energy on being able to explain things in light of the customer's world. That's where I struggle. Like when I'm going to talk about something, anything that where I'm mm-hmm. an expert at, where I struggle is to say how I'm going to start the sentence with because you, whether I'm asking the question you know, the reason I'm asking is because you or mm-hmm. the, the, I'm going to share this because you where I'm trying to connect everything I'm doing to the customer versus just talk about my stuff and hope they get it. That's where the real prep comes. 
that's the heavy lifting for me or to get prepared for a meeting. That's the hard stuff. So close us out, Mark, give us any, any last words of wisdom or advice that, um, that you've learned over the years to leverage your, 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 the way your brain's wired and how you've navigated that and developed a whole new skill set. Cause you, you've worked on your emotional intelligence. I know that mm-hmm. anything else you'd, you'd, you'd offer is uh, some closing advice. Yeah, I, I think, uh, it's, I mean, it's a great question. I, I think it is a, about something we, we threaded through this, uh, which is the, 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 the audience or the character or whatever word we want to use is really the other person, mm-hmm. not you. Yeah. Um, it's not about me performing or me getting the answer right or me following the right and wrong. You know, we have a sales process following the sales process. Mm-hmm. It's really all that pressure comes off. Like I'm going to, I'm going to check my motive and say, I'm going to take my knowledge and my training and my process and logic and detail mm-hmm. and do my do my best to figure out what your situation is and how, how I can help if I can help and how I can help. So when, uh, when, when it's, when I take that pressure off, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's just easier to try to help. I'm trying to help and that's what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And I think as technical background sellers you know we're, we're we're problem solvers we're also curious i think that's a good that's a good trait there's a lot of general curiosity when you're doing experiments but some of the things that maybe tend to to be the stereotypical traits are just things that we've talked about and when you focus on the customer uh, and see the turkey thermometer or see their process or, or look at the emotion they need it tends to be a little easier i think yeah. to work with them Big Bang Theory is the only thing I'd say. Wow, that's your homework. Watch the Big Bang. If you haven't watched the Big Bang Theory, I think it's I think it ended like a season or two ago. Yeah, uh, not too long ago. But it it's just it's just it's just a really well done thing about how like technical people just maybe aren't working with non technical people. Um, you know, and and, where there's a gap in how they communicate. Yeah, and just so gap in how they communicate and what they see. So that's your that's your. So that's your homework. Beautiful, beautiful. I I, I want to add one little, even though I'm I will probably not fall in the category. Well, I don't probably I don't fall in the category of a technical seller. I'm not wired that way. I'm more on the other side of the equation where I'm come from more the creative conceptual. But uh, one of the things I would say to people that um, have the mindset that you and I are the wiring that we've been talking about, there are laws to drive physics. Right. But there's also laws that drive communication and relationships. Mm-hmm. And I would say, take the same desire and passion you have for determining the laws that related to what you're an expert at and apply and, and apply that to figuring out the laws that drive relationship. There's laws that drive relationships, laws that drive communication. If you know those laws and you learn how to adjust and follow those, like there's a there's a process that we all have when we go into selling right? It's, these are the steps that we should follow. And there is a, that is true. There's also a process that a customer should have and should follow to determine the best solution. So figure that process out. So there's, there's, there is a, there are equations that drive everything we're talking about. Now it's what's different is it's not an intellectual exercise to be able to execute the formulas, if you will, it requires a different um, 
I want to say skill set, different abilities than just, um, I guess, maybe intellectual analytical horsepower. But their laws exist. Uh, it's they're, they're, they're laws and principles. Yeah, I mean, I won't put right. you on the spot, Tom, but maybe a little little Newton's first law here. Remember Newton's first law? Can you take Is a that stab? something to do with the frog? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. The law of inertia. Body at rest stays at rest. Yeah. Right. Body moving stays moving. Like it's it's like it's like the basics of physics. And so it's always true. It's always true. And I would argue we were talking a little bit ago about nobody really wants to hear your perspective until they hear until you hear their perspective, until you validate their perspective. That's that's mm-hmm. all that's a, that's a principle. It's a law. I don't know if it can be proven with math, but I don't know how newton proved that the it stays in I mean, he proved it with math but he probably pushed the ball a hundred thousand times and hey a hundred thousand times yeah. it kept moving i don't know but after studying enough uh subjects meaning people that's that's true yeah. and so you can you can rely on the principles human nature principles to help the human sell. nature yeah one of them that we always talk about is we call it the tug of war principle. If you try to force somebody to do that, they're going to resist, mm-hmm. even if it's in their best interest. If you try to pull mm-hmm. them to your position, their natural inclination is to pull back because people want to be by nature in control. They don't want to be controlled. And matter of fact, I talked to a guy, the guy cut my hair today. He like he was in, he went through boot camp. He joined the army at 21. He said the hardest what was the hardest thing? He said, not being in control. They mm. they they take they want to break you down to where you are no longer in control and that was the hardest thing that's a that's a law that's a principle that's just true my wife says put your seatbelt on i'm like i'd rather go through the windshield mm-hmm. and i may i may put my seatbelt on but i don't want to no you don't want to be told nobody wants to be told and so that's a law that you can leverage to be better at communicating so anyway that's a great great uh Great topic, Mark. Appreciate your insights, your wisdom. Love working with you, my friend. I hope it was helpful. Guys, if you liked what you heard today, you know, give us some feedback on the, on the podcast. Like it. Give us some comments. Tell us what to do to serve you better because you are the hero of the story. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Sales with Aslan. Mm-hmm.